You are listening to the sassiest podcast in the world. Born in the Nordics, democratizing B2B SaaS knowledge everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Ashley Herbert Popa, the Global Director of Product Marketing at Talent. Even if it's a smaller feature, then if I can build a big story around it that supports our narrative, it might become a bigger launch than what it should have been. Hello there and welcome back to another episode of the Sassiest Podcast. I hope that you are having a good day. Thank you for choosing to spend another 45-50 minutes with us today. Um, if you want to spend some more time with us, we are out on a meetup tour and I think the ones coming up next is the one in Stockholm on the 28th of November. We are visiting my news desk for an after work at 5pm. So if you're working for a B2B SaaS company, you are much welcome. It's free of charge. Uh, my news desk will offer some drinks and some snacks and we're just gonna spend some hours together chatting, getting to know each other and having fun. Definitely. We're all about building relationships. Like... I love what we do with all the networks and community and discussions and the podcast and all of these things, but there is something special with meeting in real life. You know, meeting person that you've interacted with in either in one of the cohort groups or you've met somewhere else, but just the fact the face-to-face interaction is just great. I'm looking forward to it. So are you also excited about the Sassy CEO Network for 2024? Very much so, very much so. And uh, hopefully you've all seen that we are open for new applications right now, which means that we are right now in the process of putting together the cohorts group for 2024. So in the beginning of next year, we'll start the new cohorts. And again, if you're a CEO listening to this, or if you are close to your CEO, here is why you should consider joining. It's for B2B SaaS companies only. It is for B2B SaaS companies with 2 million in ARR or more. That's 2 million euros in ARR or more. And it is peer-to-peer driven. We will never force a topic on top of you. You need to listen to this or that. All the agenda, all the group discussions are generated by the cohort themselves. And you will get to hang out with 10 to 15 people on a regular basis to build that intimate relationship. You never have to be alone again. I know you're probably surrounded by a great board, great owners, great executive teams. But let's be honest, sometimes there are just some half-baked ideas or some stresses that are just yours. And you can't share it with anybody else of those groups I mentioned. But you know who you can share it with? The Sassiest CEO group. So come there, join us, be inspired, learn, let's leverage each other's networks. Absolutely. And if you are an executive, you you have a VP or a higher position in basically any vertical at the company, we have a group for you. And as with the CEO group, you can head over to sassiest.com. Under communities, you can find these groups and you can apply to them. And you can also apply to join the Slack community that is open for anyone working within B2B SaaS here in Europe. And with that, it's time for another episode. And something that is really interesting is product marketing because companies, how they work with this is very different. And some excel, some 
does a really shitty job with it. And uh, today we have the privilege to listen to someone that has a lot of experiences in this. So join us and let's take in some really good knowledge here. Today we are super happy to have Ashley Herbert Popa here as the guest in the Sassiest podcast. So welcome, Ashley. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So great to have you here. We're excited to have this opportunity to talk about a very interesting topic. But before we dig into that, tell the world, tell the Sassiest listeners, who is Ashley? <laughs> uh, Ashley is an uh, an former Alabamian. So I'm originally from the U.S., from Alabama, plucked myself out of there, um, moved to Austin, Texas for a bit, and now I'm living in Amsterdam. Uh, my background is in sales and marketing, and mostly around products marketing, which I'm excited to dive into today. I am uh, a wife, a, a dog mom of two dogs, and uh, a mom of a two-year-old and one on the way that should be arriving in the next few weeks. Wow, wow exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks, thanks. Looking forward to the crazy loud household that we'll have yeah. soon. <laughs> yeah, and we have the pleasure of having you on the stage at Sassiest Amsterdam, and uh, I mean, in your condition uh, it, it was great that you could take some time off uh, and that you were you know able to 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 be with us i think that's the first one i've never heard anybody call it condition <laughs> yeah sometimes it feels like a condition sometimes it feels like <laughs> like an exciting thing a, a, a different kind of product launch uh, if you will yeah yeah exactly <laughs> good one we, we we love pregnant people how about that we love pregnant people but uh, how how did you end up in amsterdam uh, um I have always had some kind of fascination with living abroad. I don't know where that comes from, but uh, my mother could pull out all kinds of diaries and plans from my high school years of living in Rome or Paris or something. And um, I, I got an opportunity to move to Amsterdam from Austin and do my MBA. Okay. So I, I did that at, uh, at UFA, the University of Amsterdam. Uh, and plan to just stay for that and maybe another year. And I'm here almost eight years later and uh, married to a Romanian and living a very different life than I originally planned. But, uh, but yeah, a really fun one, really exciting one. Very cool. And tell us about what you are up to these days professionally. Professionally, uh, we are in the midst of a merge. I've been working for a company called Recruity for the last four years, and we have recently merged um, three companies into one called Talent. Uh, There's a few different HR tech tools that have uh, have come together to you know, build something stronger and more exciting. So I am now shifting gears from um, very much recruitment ATS space into the entire HR tech market uh, and shifting my team around uh, regarding product marketing from more execution base into more strategic base, which is also really exciting, redoing uh, org charts and responsibilities and uh, yeah, planning out and mapping out what product marketing looks like at Talent, which has been uh, terrifying and exciting. And uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. All right. So, so did you have, what do you say, um, solutions that complemented each other or was there overlaps or what did that look like? In a sense, the solutions complement each other in the sense that we have a recruitment, core HR, and performance management. So in the whole employee lifecycle aspect of things, we complement each other really well. 
Um, we all serve different markets, different customer sizes are at a different company growth stage. So that has been the, um, interesting web to untangle to figure out where our customer base is going to lie in the future. What is possible now? Uh, what is possible in the future? What are we building? So a lot of unknowns and things we're, we're figuring out, but, uh, yeah, that's also been part of the fun of it. And how does that affect you when? Well, I shouldn't jump into any conclusions. Are you merging the three product teams, product marketing teams into one, or are they going to live somewhat separate lives for some time? <laughs> well, we actually only had one product marketing team. Recruity was the only one with a product marketing team. So it's been a lot of uh, introducing product marketing to the other product lines. Gotcha. Uh, who are we? What do we do? How can we help you? Uh, where to include us? Uh, but then we also have to shift what our product marketers are responsible for. They were aligned to product manager at Recruity. So now obviously we have to uh, shift a bit and they're going to be responsible for persona first, which is not always a common thing. Um, and product line second. Yeah. Uh, so we have three product marketers that are covering two personas and three product lines. Yeah. And j- just to clarify, going forward, the three former product lines, if you may, are they all going to go under one and single brand? Yes. Yeah, so we're uh, right now we're all Recruity by Talent, Javela by Talent, QBHR by Talent. Right. Uh, we will soon merge into uh, Talent ATS, Talent Performance Management, Talent Core HR. Um, and what we're trying to build is sort of the option to only have one or two or three of them, right. but uh, optimize for having all three if you would like. So uh, our thing has always been, how do we make it easy for you to use our tool, whether that's either using it in sell- itself inside the platform or to be able to connect it to your own tech stack. So we're also really focusing on building that um, ecosystem as well in case you feel like, well, this performance management system is better, I want to use this one instead, Um, then you can use the other two uh, products available with that other one. Yeah. Gotcha. And and looking at who you are targeting here, you you mentioned that you you come from from different worlds a little bit, these companies, but have you decided, I mean, who's your ideal customer moving forward? Yeah. Uh, We are a good fit for, or will be a good fit for as we continue uh, mid-sized companies, uh, scaling companies especially, so looking at like 50 to 500, I would say, um, mostly in the Dach, Benelux, and French markets. we still have some ways to go, little features to add to to be a really great fit in all three coming out of the gates. But uh, for the most part, we were the best fit in those markets. And regarding what the what the ICP looks like, what the sort of buyer persona or, or profile looks like, that would be um, HR or people teams that are struggling with getting the rest of the organization involved when it comes to building a great workplace. So um, collaborative hiring is a really big aspect of recruiting, making sure that not just the recruiter is involved, but you have different reviewers and people involved in the process. Um, and, and we want to enable that as well throughout the entire employee life cycle so people have a better uh, experience working for the company, have more input and uh, more clarity 
about what you're doing. You want to hear something unique? Uh, when we hire at Sassiest, the entire company is involved in the recruitment process. <laughs> I love that. I love to hear that. Yeah, that's so nice. That's, uh, that's. I mean, maybe not the entire company, but when I first joined Recruity, when we were very small, I felt like the whole company was involved. I think one of my interview days, I went around and shook hands with everybody on the floor. So right. <laughs> so it kind of was that way. Uh, but it, and maybe not to, to that degree for everybody will it work, but uh, I do see some really great hires coming out of uh, this process where I involve a lot of other team members uh, when I'm in the hiring manager because they have this expertise or that expertise yeah. or they can come with this opinion or that background. And, and I think for the candidate as well, they get to see who they might be working with in the future exactly, uh, and get a better feel for the company, not just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. who am I going to work under or the recruiter. And full disclosure on our end, we're not that many. So that's, that's why that person. <laughs> that probably helps, yeah. All right. But uh, let's put some numbers uh, to get some perspective here. So um, where are you at when it comes to ARR? How much are you growing? Number of customers and such? Yeah, we're we're between 25 and 50 million ARR. Um, we have a little over 300 employees and a bit over 7,000 customers in more than 100 countries. Uh, so we're we're even though we have specialties in those markets, we really have customers that are coming from everywhere, uh, which is really nice and exciting to see. Um, and yeah, our our employee base is, has grown quite a bit since. Me joining recruited employee number like sixty something. So uh, yeah, I don't know uh, if you know for all three of these companies, but uh, I mean at least for the recruiting part where you have been, um, you know, with for quite a long time. So how how have recruited funded their operation? When I joined, we were bootstrapped, okay, completely, um, which was really exciting. It was definitely a point of pride for us to be bootstrapped. Um, and sort of making it on our own and making our own decisions as well. Uh, we did see sort of a, a cutoff of how much can we grow and how much of an impact can we make continuing to be bootstrapped. Uh, and especially looking at the market and all the economic changes, how much can we do with just a hiring tool? So we did start to, uh, our co-founders went on a big hunt for yeah, what, what's our next step? What's what's the investment market like? Do we go VC? Do we go private equity group? What, what What's the next stage here? Uh, I think they interviewed like 80 different VCs and wow. partners. And yeah, they really went on a very long process to figure out who would be the best fit for us because we were very protective of us being bootstrapped and making our own decisions and, and building a great product. I like that, that, that they went out to interview them and not the other way around. Yeah. So like they, they still sat in the, in the power seat. Yeah, they did. I, and with the full expectation that, hey, if it doesn't work out, if we don't find somebody, then we don't find somebody. So I think that was a really nice perspective. Of course, people were always reaching out. Right. You know, uh, if it's a successful company, when I joined, we were all inbound sales. We were doing really well. Um, and they found uh, PSG, which is a private equity group. Um, they helped connect us to these other HR tech tools, uh, Javelo and, and QEHR. Um, and then we decided to band together and uh, inform talent so we could make an even bigger impact. Uh, we were also seeing this is kind of where the market is going, wanting more like all-in-one type of tools or, you know, as a hiring tool in the economy of post-COVID and uh, economic downturn, not everybody is hiring. So how can we make ourselves a, a little bit more 
um, resistance to to some of these changes. So, uh, yeah, we're still with PSG and, and now forming talent, which has been really, really fun. Really exciting. Well, uh, moving on to the main topic of today here, we're going to talk about product launches uh, and specifically product launch strategies. Uh, we in our space, obviously, in B2B SaaS, every company is doing a certain amount of, of new product drops or releases or launches, whatever you want to call it, somewhat continuously. Somebody does you know, a few a year, somebody does 60 a year. <laughs> uh, I'd like to discuss a little bit, starting off by defining, like in your world, what is really a product launch? What considers a product launch here? I definitely agree with you. There is a difference in a release and a product launch. Um, a release is something that happens on the more product side of things. Uh, and I will say when we were a younger company and first starting out, there wasn't that difference of a product launch versus a release. Everything we did, we were like super excited about and needed to make a big deal about it because we had a smaller team and, and our customers really cared about it. Now, as we grow bigger and as we start to introduce these other product lines and as we dive more into what customers in the market really cares about, we have split those two. So just because it is a release and improvement of the product, something we always want to do, we never want to hinder that or stop that. I think we have like over last year, over 300 releases just within Recruity. But not all of those were product launches. So for me, a product launch is really understanding what the impact is going to be on the market and or customers. So we tier them based on that, um, P1, P2, and P3. And if it's one of those, then we will do a launch for it. Now, each one of those tiers comes with a different set of tactics that we do based on what the impact and who it's going to impact. Um because sometimes customers, it's going to change a part of their way of working and we need to let them know it's more educational. And sometimes it's a really cool feature, I don't know, maybe AI-based or something that's going to cause a lot of buzz in the market. So we want to focus more on the PR side of things. So uh, a product launch is just, we want to take that release and educate and or inspire the marketing customers about what it is and how to use it. All right. So you mentioned you had around 300 releases last year. So how many product launches did that end up in? I want to say that we had under 15 product launches. Okay. Yeah, with 300 releases. Um, we have different channels that we use to communicate everything going on because sometimes it's like, let's say, an API updates. Well, our customers need to know about that. So maybe that's a better fit for like a change log or something. Um, but yeah, if it's, you know, this cool AI feature we're adding, then we're going to focus less on the product change log aspect and more on the, the big tier and involve the rest of the marketing team as well. Uh, so yes, much fewer launches than we have releases. But we do like to talk about that a little bit, especially with prospects, because it shows them um we're doing a lot and we're investing a lot in developing the product and, and keeping it up to date for you. Awesome. So let's talk about launches specifically a little bit now. Like, you know, how do you prepare for a P1, P2, P3 launch? I guess is, is P1 the greatest of the launches or is it P3? P1, yeah. P1 is the the, the, the biggest impact. It's, it's the... Um, a prospect will likely change over from a competitor to you because of this 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 launch. So it is 
we will only have like one of them a year. Okay. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's not maybe two, I would say max. I wouldn't have more than that because you're putting so much effort behind the launch and grabbing so much attention that if you do that more than a couple of times, then people are going to stop listening. So we, we tread very carefully when we're tiering which launches are coming out for the year. Yeah, so don't cry P1. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how, how do you decide for this? Is, is it somebody sitting there, like you have a committee and said like, okay, in six months, we're, we're going to do a P1 because it's time now. And it's going to be about this and it's going to be these features and this is how we mess up. How, how does it happen? Or, or is there another way of how you decide for when and how a P1 is done? We kind of block out, okay, we're, we want to do one P1 launch next year and a couple of P2s and some P3s. Mm. But uh, it's really in the phase of planning the roadmap for the next year that we take a look into this. Um, our push to the product team is we need at least one P1 launch, please. Like, let's, you know, I know sometimes we have to do more of like a maintenance year. There's more foundational stuff, but I'm like, I just need something. Yeah. Um, to, to talk about here. So we try to, to plan with them there. Uh, and it's a lot of, so of course, what goes on the roadmap, but sometimes we need to adjust along the way as well. Something that, um, for example, maybe we've worked on a feature for a really long time or a product for a really long time. It is, there's a lot of, uh, you know, emotion and blood, sweat and tears put in by the team, but it took a year longer than we originally planned. And actually now everybody in the market has it. And what was originally a P1 launch is actually now like a maybe smaller P2. It's just like a Me Too feature, which is a little disheartening internally, I think, but it's, really keeping a, an eye on what's going on in the market and what customers and prospects will care about um, to help adjust it. So we do tentatively market. We, we pencil it in, I guess you could say. And then when we're in the planning, then we do really deep dive into, okay, what is this actually now based on what people are wanting, what our competitors are doing, um, what's expected from us and what we have going on for the rest of the year. Because the roadmap changes so often as well. Right. Um, it's, it's always a bit of a, an adjustment. So you, you mentioned that a P1 is potentially a drop that will make somebody leave their existing vendor and come over to you. Like, I'm curious, how does that look? Do you go and ask? Do you have conversations with them and say, like, hey, for you guys to come and join us and leave the existing relationship you have, what else do you need? I, is that how this works? Or, or how do you collect that in information from the outside world? Or do you have some genius internally that says, like, I know what the future of HR should look like. People out there might not know yet, but I know. Mm -hmm. So we're doing it. And then people hopefully will jump on that. It's a bit of a mix. Uh, I mean, I, I, in reality, is it really just one feature that somebody is going to say, absolutely, your company, not this company? Probably not. They're probably also unhappy with what they already have. And they like a lot of other stuff that you have within your, uh, within your product. So this is just the little you know, straw that breaks the camel's back or a little movement that pushes them over the edge. We do look at this when it comes to win-loss analyses uh, within HubSpot, for example. So I want to know what won the deal for us. And it could be, it's it's sometimes like, you know, UX is really great or the price was good. Or we also have like a list of features that people will, that our sales team will choose. So I can see um, why this person said that they won the deal. Now, 
I take it with a bit of a grain of salt as well. Like I said, sometimes it's just an easy like drop down and mm-hmm. then I select what's best or the customer prospectus says, oh, this thing really, yeah, put me over the edge, whatever it is. So it's a bit of uh, market insights, competitor insights, uh, as well as looking at the, the win-loss reports as well that are coming in that I can tell this is why they, they switched over to us or vice versa. We're losing a lot of deals because we don't have X, Y, Z, or this is not as good or, or whatever else as well. Yeah. Yeah. So does it have to be sort of a new module or could it just be something that you can st- tell a good story about or that has a wow factor or? I think it can be any of the above. I, I, I love to tell a good story and especially if it promotes or sort of supports our, uh, strategic narrative. So for Recruity specifically, uh, we built a, a narrative around collaborative hiring. Mm. Um, yeah, this thoughts that you, if you hire together, you have a better team. So even if it's a smaller feature, then if I can build a big story around it that supports our narrative, it might become a bigger launch than what it should have been. Yeah. And we, we have that. We sometimes we're working on something now, a feature now, which Seems really small. It's not that sexy, to be honest. It's like access, uh, accessibility, basically. But I can weave a really good narrative into our uh, into our company's story. Um, not a lot of our competitors have it or have it set up this way specifically. So even though it's quite small and very specific, uh, I can build a really great story around it and um, talk about the differentiator aspect of it as well. So that it makes it a bigger launch than maybe originally planned. Yeah. Yeah, make, make, makes a lot of sense. And if we try to get even more tactical here for the listeners, uh, if we look at your P1 and P2 uh, releases, like tell us a little bit like how does the internal work go into? So once you've decided here, here's an upcoming P1 and P2, like what happens next and who is involved? Yeah, I am a big advocate for as much internal uh, involvement and advocacy as possible. Um, I think that's what makes your p1 launch a p1 launch is that uh, you've covered all the bases and that's sort of the whole reason that product marketing sits in such a cross-functional role as well so for uh customer support uh, customer success and support i want to make sure that they are know about this thing well in advance so they can tell me hey i think we're going to get a lot of questions around xyz or customer success can add it into their onboarding process or plan extra uh, customer drop-ins to either announce it beforehand or, you know, tease it or, or also do trainings afterwards. Um, marketing team definitely needs to know quite a bit in advance as well because they're already doing planning for campaigns in the future. Um, if it's a really big launch, we want to do maybe a separate campaign around it. It wouldn't necessarily be... Um, you know, we launched something for AI last year and maybe the product launch or the campaign is not this specific feature, but rather the whole discussion around AI and HR, AI and business, that's a really hot topic uh, going around. Is it ethical or unethical? In which way are you using it? Um, and we can build a great story about why we decided this AI feature in this way um, and how it supports uh, teams without being unethical. Um but I need their their buy-in early. I need them to already plan the campaigns, to already be stalking, talking to the PR firms, um, the product managers as well. I, I need them on board because I, I need their help to make sure that they're keeping me updated on everything. Um, I like to have them involved as well. They've done a lot of customer and market research 
preemptively. So I want to use that for creating messaging, um, deciding what kind of education tactics are needed. So if they've interviewed customers before they even built it, I want to know how complex it was for them or how much it's needed. Um, what's the impact on their lives going to make? What are the words that customers are using as well? So I can use that in my messaging. Uh, sales needs to be involved, obviously, because I want them to post on LinkedIn. I want them to talk to their prospects about it already. So uh, the internal and prep side is massive compared to what goes out uh, at launch and afterwards. Are you building a SaaS business? Achieving ISO 27001 or SOC 2 compliance can help you win bigger deals, enter new markets, and deepen trust with your customers. But it can also cost you real time and money. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work needed to get and stay compliant. Get audit ready in weeks instead of months and save up to 85% of associated cost. Over 6,000 fast-growing companies use Vanta to manage risk and prove security in real time. Sassiest listeners get 20% off Vanta at Vanta.com slash Sassiest. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash Sassiest. I'm curious because I've been in sales all my life and have been through many of these launches or releases, some of them more successful than others. Like, how do you ensure that the revenue team or go-to-market or sales team, whatever you want to call them, that they are equipped enough to go out and carry this message in a way that, you know, lands well with the customer, but also aligns with the internal needs? Because I've seen so many launches where uh, either the sales teams haven't been ready or they haven't fully understood the great value of this, which means that either they uh, don't position it correctly or just decide not to position it at all because salespeople, they're, they're comfortable with the old deck and they just run with it. Yeah. Like, so how do you ensure that it actually works when the sales folks go out there? Uh, I tie myself really closely to one or two salespeople and I try to make them very, very happy and my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> and then I ask them to present whatever it is I put together to their team. So if I if I have a new sales deck or like the strategic narrative, for example, I asked uh, one of our sales team members who's been around for a really long time, is very well respected in the team. Um, he actually presented the new sales deck and the new story to the sales team. Mm. And I find that so much more powerful when it's one of them doing it in their own way. Because not only do I get that real-time input and feedback about what is in here or what they're missing, um, what else they would need, but also I understand how they would present it, how they're kind of tweaking the story a bit. And then everybody else who is already looking at them with you know respect and looking up to them saying, oh, I, should, I need to learn from this person, uh, they're going to adopt that piece of enablement or the launch or whatever it is a lot more easy, more easily yeah, uh, than if I come in, not a salesperson, um, yeah, maybe it's they care, maybe they don't, but they're just not going to listen to me as much. And to be honest, I'm happy to relinquish whatever kind of uh, kudos or, or whatever it is that, oh, you put together this great deck. I'd rather be adopted than get <laughs> any kind of recognition that I did it. Right. Um, but I do that with a lot of team members, actually, product manager, product side as well. Um, I find my advocates wherever I can, and I use them to <laughs> infiltrate my message. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think that's a great strategy. But how do you get those advocates? Do you have a secret trick of you know getting these supporters in the sales org? 
I just try to show value very quickly for them. So if they ask me, hey, I need this thing, then I say, okay, great. It's ready tomorrow. Um, if they, I also ask their opinion a lot on things. So I, I, what do you think about this? What do you think is missing? Um, I just show that I want to be valuable for them. And then for them, it's worth it to spend some extra time sitting with me, giving me feedback. Uh, because they see the outcome in the end. So it's a lot of groundwork and being quick about turning around the value. And yeah, then yeah. they see, oh, this is what this person can do, or this is what product marketing can do. So actually, it does benefit me in the long run to spend a little extra time. That's also the thing with sales is their schedules are so busy. How do I get them to actually give me feedback on this thing or or respond to the survey or whatever it is? That that That's a difficult thing if it's not already in their process or having to do with their commission or bonuses or anything. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> so I've uh, I've just, you know, one by one worked my way through uh, some of the people in the sales team trying to show, hey, I- I've got your back. And then in the end, they-, they will also have mine. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I mean, nothing comes for free, right? You have yeah. to provide value, you have to put the work yeah. in, you have to, you know, be dedicated. So I think that's amazing and uh, a very good takeaway from, from this episode. Um, another thing... Um, where does product marketing live in the organization? Do you report to a CMO or is it a part of the product management team? Or We report to the marketing team right now. Okay. Yeah, it's. I also always have a back and forth. I always also question if product marketing is the right term for what we do. I'm not, I'm not sure. And to be honest, I, I've told my manager this as well. I, I feel like to a degree we could kind of fit anywhere. Yeah. Just stick us somewhere <laughs> as long as we can, you know, get forth, push forth our... Um, I don't want to say agenda, but as long as I understand what the company goals are, I can tell you how we can support them best. And as long as I'm enabled through my manager to do that, then yeah, whether it's product or marketing or by itself or to a CMO or CEO, uh, I I can kind of fit anywhere. It's really based on whatever the company uh, is trying to get done. But yeah, we report to marketing. Do you have a better term than product marketing? Oh. Value marketing. Value marketing. We do a lot for the product, but it does sometimes narrow down what we're doing. I, I think value is a really strong word for anything we do. We're, we're good about understanding what is valuable to each one of our stakeholders, whether that's internally or externally. So I understand that the sales team really values this information given to them in this way. Uh, in this format, uh, and this works best with them. So I'm going to take all of this stuff I have in my head and give it to them in this little package. And uh, vice versa, I understand that this is the product we're trying to build, um, but the customers want to see it in this way. So I'm going to build this great story for them and show them this way so it, they understand the value. It's not just a product or a feature. It's like, here's how your life can change with this thing. So Maybe value marketing, I, I think, would be the one I would, would choose next. I, I'm super excited. I've never heard it before. So, like, in my in my mind, I'm going to say we coined it here or you coined it here. So Tell going to claim it for himself. <laughs> exactly. I, I was part of it. I, I, was, I was here when it happened. So, value marketing. Okay, it's great. So, I think we have understood that internal alignment is key, planning, and that entire exercising, making sure you have your ambassador and advocates with you. I'm curious a little bit, like, if you do decide to tell the outside world about this upcoming new great thing that you guys are working on, like how early on do you start with the teasing and dropping some some hints that it's happening? 
And what channels are you using for this? Yeah, I, I think it depends. Of course, it's always really nice to, like, if you can tie a launch into a into a topic that a lot of people are talking about, let's take AI and HR, for example. Um, we already want to start putting polls out on LinkedIn. We already want to start being in discussions around AI and HR, finding, you know, finding these communities that are talking about it and giving our own opinion around it, um, doing interviews. So yeah, maybe that's a couple of weeks. Maybe that's like a month or two. It kind of depends on when we know it's going to be released or how big or what's the discussion around. Um, LinkedIn is a really great channel that we use because a lot of our, well, our community is there. Our customers are there. So whatever, wherever your customers are is also where you should be. Um, not necessarily that oh, Twitter is better than LinkedIn, but rather just there's a lot of HR communities, um, on LinkedIn. Right. Uh, so we, we follow wherever they, they go. So LinkedIn is great. Um, we also have a really good, uh, video production team. So we can do a lot visually there. Um, put out a Halloween video not too long ago. I'm always <laughs> impressed when we get asked often, like, what agency did you use? Which is a nice little, um, ego boost there as well. Uh, so LinkedIn is also a good platform for us to be able to, to share there. But yeah, PR, um, LinkedIn, um, yeah, also dark, dark social. What kind of communities are you in? So I think like our partnerships team, they try to be, um, in some of these smaller communities. That's what it makes sense for the business to be in Telend. Right. But rather that, you know, Daniel, the partnerships manager is in. So, um, yeah, so the, it's, we, we try from different aspects and, and the, the length kind of depends on the topic and the launch and what kind of story we can build around it as well. Yeah. And I'm also curious with, with existing customers, do you have some kind of a practice where you publicly share the roadmap? Like how, how much of an insight do they have or, or is it closed or can they basically see I'm expecting to get this in three months? The timeline part, we don't do as much just because it's even difficult for us to really accurately time when something's going to happen. We don't want to overpromise, but we have a public roadmap. Uh, we use a tool called Canny for that and customers can vote. Um, on what kind of features or, or products they want to see within uh, within Recruity. Javelo and Kiwi have uh, a form of that as well. I don't think Canny is the tool that they use, but eventually we will have this for the whole platform. Um, like I was saying in the beginning, collaboration is really important to us. So that also means customer collaboration. Uh, I think one of the reasons that we are as successful as we are is because we are building what people want to see um, and what they're asking for as well. So it's not the only thing we take into account when building a roadmap, but it is a big part of it uh, when building roadmap. All right. So do you do, I, I mean, you mentioned that you're active in the conversations and so on, but when it's really, you know, now it is the day of the big release. Is it the newsletter that goes out or is it an event that you have or when the big splash comes, what happens then? We have, uh, so we have, of course, help articles that need to be posted first. So if somebody wants to figure out how to enable it or use it, then they can find that information there. We also use uh, a tool called Beamer, which is kind of like our product change log. 
Uh, if it's a bigger release, then we're going to have a dedicated post about it. But we also do monthly posts uh, for that called, uh, we call them the nutshells, product nutshells, uh, which give you a whole overview of everything we've done for the previous month, including uh, at least in English and now also in German, a video recording as well, if you prefer a video. Uh, we post on LinkedIn. Uh, so we post on social media. Um, a lot of times we'll try to tie that to um, uh, an interesting blog post, uh, something that was more a little, little more like a, uh, not so product focused, but again, more value focused. So what problems can you solve with this new thing that we just released? Whereas the change log is usually a little bit of value, but then how do you enable it? Where do you go to? It's definitely geared more towards customers. Um, if it's a really big launch, of course, we've already been talking to PR agencies and news outlets and things. So hopefully they're posting around that time as well. Uh, again, if it's a bigger release, we'll also have, um, that's like employee activation aspect as well. So if we have a nice video or a blog or something that should be posted, we also encourage our employees to post about it as well, because that gets a bit more attraction if, uh, people are posting on LinkedIn rather than just companies. Um, I'm trying to think if there's uh, something else I missed. We also just try to do this with campaigns also. So sometimes it's, you know, these few things on the launch day, but then we have ads that are going out about it, or we're going to talk about it in the event that we're hosting in a couple of weeks, or, you know, it's, it's now integrated into sales demos and stuff. So some of it also kind of trickles out after, after the big launch day. All right. So there are there is stuff to do. Yes. With, in other words, okay. How do you measure the success or failure, for that matter, of a release or launch? What are the numbers you look at? What are the metrics that will tell you that this was good or bad? It depends on the launch itself, uh, I would say. So it's not like we have the same metrics that we're looking at for every launch. For example, I'm going to expect a much smaller bang if it's a feature that's launched on our... Uh, on our highest tier, for example. So we're just not going to have as many people on the highest tier. So then you can't expect the numbers of adoption that you could for the middle tier, for example. So it, it depends on what the goal is going to be. Let's take the like an AI example. Our goal there was to have more brand awareness and to be uh, more in, in more conversations around HR tech and AI, um, not necessarily in the adoption of that feature. So of course, we want to look at how many people are using that part of the product that is important to us, but it's more that we want to be included in the conversation. Whereas sometimes we have, uh, maybe it's a P2 launch that impacts customers. Customers are dying for it. It's like our highest rated Kenny uh, public roadmap votes out there. Then we're going to look at what's the adoption rate of this. Um, how, what's the time to value here? At what point do they use the full feature and they're, I don't know, uh, seeing the outcome of it. Uh, so it kind of depends on the launch, but it's it's based on what is the tier and what's the impacts we want to make. Uh, and then we decide what kind of metrics we're going to look at for that. All right. So what are common mistakes that you see people do when they do product launches? Uh, a product manager not including a product marketer in early enough in the process, I think, is is one. Okay. I mean, and I, I totally get it, especially if you've never worked with product marketing before or if you feel like, well, this is just too early to include them in it. I would totally understand that sentiment. But the earlier we're involved in the process, 
the better we can make decisions um, and help as well, because we can do the research, we can carry some of the load. Uh, but what doesn't work um, and only causes stress is when you say, hey, this thing will be ready in two weeks. And the product marketer is like, well, actually, this is <laughs> a really cool, awesome feature yeah. that we could do a lot around. Can you please do a white paper, a uh, one pager? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, then, uh, yeah, you know, I, I only have two weeks to put stuff together or, uh, yeah, I want to make a bigger impact with it. So that, that's one side. I think the other side is um, internally being too attached to a launch to where you think it's a really big thing because you spend a lot of time and blood, sweat and tears and effort into it. And then it gets to market and everybody's like, yeah, okay. So, yeah. so what? We, we've, we've, we've never seen that. <laughs> it's never happened to us. I'm sure. I mean, and look, I, I say this from experience because we've also done it as well. We're, you know, we're also involved in that process of like the blood, sweat and tears behind it and all the customer interviews and betas and this, that and the other. And we just think, man, I put so much effort into this. I've been planning that it's a P1 launch. I feel a nagging sensation in the back of my head that it's actually like a smaller P2, but I'm going to go for it anyway because I've told everybody it's a P1. <laughs> and then not that it flops. It's just that considering the amount of effort you've put in for the launch, actually maybe that would have been better used for this other thing that seems smaller, but it's going to make a bigger impact for the story or for the uh, with the market. So yeah. that that's the other mistake I see is just... Being too emotionally tied to a launch to where you're not seeing the big picture and how customers are seeing it. Yeah. Uh, and to flip it around, three very concrete, practical things that the product marketer should do in order to improve how they work with product releases. What would that be? Uh, I think it, I'm going to go back again to the value. Um, being that valuable partner for the product team, for, for any team really, but okay, I, I'm asking XYZ from you, product manager, but here's what I can give you. Like, I don't want to just sit there and ask, ask, ask. I want to show that I'm actually a strategic partner for you, that I can help you do the research. Hey, I just did all of these battle cards. You can use this for deciding which, uh, yeah, which feature, which competitors to dive into for this thing. Um, I put together all of this positioning pre-work with the market. Here's some interesting information for you to use. Um, so I think being that valuable partner to product is going to be a huge help. Um, over communicating, I think is another thing as well. Mm. Um, product managers or product teams in general, I think maybe, well, from my experience are a bit more comfortable with like putting their head down and just going and getting stuff done, which is great. It means that you move really quickly. Um, but then you find like two weeks before launch, you're like, Hey, I haven't spoken to you in a, <laughs> in a little while. So let's give each other updates. So sometimes being, um, I think product marketers can be good about making sure that you're giving several updates and being the proactive person when it comes to that of like, Hey, here's what we're planning. Are we still on track with this? Is this still the plan? Anything changed here? Uh, so the over communication and sort of being that valuable partner, I think, are are two things. Delivering value, over communicating, and you get the third one. Yeah, the third. Yeah, the third one uh, is maybe just understanding what is important to them. What do they like doing? What do they not like doing? What is what is their goal and their team? So, do you have a part of the product that not many people are using? Do you have a part of the product where, I don't know, it's like a mobile app, for example, and you need your own campaigns around it, or we need to do like 
extra special screenshots for the app store or something like what is your goal as a product manager? Um, and then I can figure out where I can bring you that extra value. So I just need to understand what it is that you want to do, what you're trying to work on. And then I can go back to the number one of providing that value, not just like dumping information, but curating it to what you need and what you're trying to solve. Okay, this has been really insightful and, and, and valuable. And obviously, product launches and releases, it's a thing of the future. It's something that we look ahead towards. Looking into your future and Talent's future. So what can you tell us about Talent in the next 12 to 18 months? What can we expect? Uh, we are going to go through a lot of product developments, a lot of product changes. So the idea is to bring them together more, um, to work better together the products themselves, but then also to work better with your HR or your tech ecosystem and just in general. So I see a lot more integrations going to happen. I see a lot more development on using the products together uh, more seamlessly and providing, if you're purchasing as a company, providing a better uh, environment for your leaders and your talent to be using the talent tools. Uh, so I, I think a lot of we have a building year ahead of us, which which is really exciting. Maybe not so, um, you know, UX and UI is not necessarily always the most exciting thing to talk about. But when it starts to play out and when you start to see it all working together, it is really exciting. Uh, so I see a lot of changes when it when it comes to that, and looking forward to seeing how else we can best support um, what's needed in the market, considering it's changing month by month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And speaking 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 about that support, so. You have a lot of listeners here um, from the SaaS community. Is there anything you feel that looking at your team, looking at what you guys are doing, what's ahead of you, that you would like some support or assistance with? Is, is there a role you're looking for? Is there a type of competence you guys are looking for? Oh, good question. Uh, I, we do want to look at customer marketing next year. So I don't know if this customer marketing is not as big in Europe. Uh, I, I've noticed as I've hired before for customer marketing. But uh, next year, I think we will look out for for that. I think that's such an uh, important aspect of a marketing team. I think often undervalued as well as how much of an impact they can make. Um, we might be uh, adding to the product marketing team at some point as well. I'm, I'm not really sure. So always looking out. Uh, I think my next step is uh, taking some maternity leave rest. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, what I'm looking for is just, uh, yeah, staying connected. I love talking about anything product marketing. So if that's even just sharing best practices from uh, another team doing it, I, I love to do that as well. Yeah. And, and speaking about sharing best practices, and you're still going to have to tune in here when you're in maternity leave. Like you got to have to, you have to listen to the podcast. I mean, I'm going to have a lot of time to just sit there, there and listen to things. <laughs> yeah. Is, is there a particular guest that you would feel extra excited about if we would have him or her on here? Uh, I mean, I listen to a lot of product marketing uh, podcasts and people. So, of course, uh, you've had April Dunford on your stage. She's always a, a big uh, person that I look up to for anything. Been um, there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tamara Gaminski is also another big name. She's uh, she's Canadian. She's in product marketing, but has a lot of experience with like segmentation. Um, and I think the the last one that I that I follow quite a bit is. Um, I don't see as much in, in Europe is uh, Chris Walker. He's a yep. demand gen expert. Uh, been there, done that. <laughs> been there, done that? Oh, okay. Well, now I'm giving you no new, <laughs> no new people. You're just validating that we're, we're, we're on to something good here. So the, all, all great names. And actually, we haven't had Tamara on the podcast. So uh, 
Tamara, if you're listening to this, we're coming for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But actually, this has been great. Uh, pleasure having you here on the podcast. Wishing you all the best with the upcoming product launch uh, at home. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, see you around. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bye now. Daniel, what's your takeaways from this episode? Oh, I know you always complain. I take the good ones because I go first. So like today I feel generous. Why don't you go first? <laughs> okay. Yeah, for me, one thing that, that I really liked here was that, uh, you know, finding those advocates in the sales organization and let them present the product launch or the new functionality for the rest of the sales team instead of, you know, having the product marketeer with the whole sales team and, and that person needs to you know, present and the sales persons you know, chat among each other well you know i'm gonna run my own deck instead and, and such and such so finding those advocates and you know work them a little bit right prove value be service-minded you know listen to them so i think that's a great strategy and that's the strategy i would steal if i were a product marketeer and listen to this episode it's a good one. Good one. And I, I like that one, Thomas, a lot. And it also gave me some time to process from all of the learnings. And I think I have a, a good takeaway here now that I would like to highlight. And okay. it has to do with how you measure and define the success of a product launch or product release. And I think it was really interesting what Ashley said here is like, it depends on what you want to accomplish. Sometimes it's just obvious. It's about deployment of this new feature. Like, okay, we shipped it out to X amount of customers. How many actually started using it? I think that that's, that's an obvious one sometimes. But I also liked how she said, sometimes they make a big stink or bang about something because it positions them in the market, it creates a narrative, it helps them position their brand and so on. So it's not about the deployment. It's about they get a welcoming hand into a discussion, like she said about this AI thing. So I think it was really interesting, like understand that each and every release might have different criteria as how you define success. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so we talked about the CEO network uh, in the beginning. What do you get if you join the CEO network? Well, you get to be part of a cohort of like-minded CEOs. You get eight digital uh, meetups uh, during the year, moderated, very focused on specific use cases chosen by the CEOs. You also get the kickoff that we have in person in Copenhagen on January 25th. You get the network dinner the night before SASIS 2024. And if you're going there, you will also get the discount. Of course, you get that to all SASIS events. We also will have a workshop with one of our thought leaders that we bring in from far away uh, to, to Sassiest that is exclusive for the CEOs and what else do you get Daniel? I mean you get access to 100 and something 150 CEOs and their extended network let's be honest with each other like our framework I think is great the programs the way they run are great but the greatest value is that you will be surrounded with some of the greatest CEOs in our space and that they're all willing there to share information and knowledge with each other. Yeah. And this is a business opportunity for any, you know, B2B SaaS company here in, in Europe that, you know, wants to join this. So, and even if you're not the CEO, you should really, you know, talk about this internally, how you can benefit from this, because it, it's a really strong network. Um, 
and um, there is also you know a strong community we appreciate you all and uh, if you have any suggestions about topics about guests about content about upcoming events and activities we are so happy to hear from you you can always reach out at contact at sassiest.com or you can dm us at linkedin we answer everybody and we really appreciate you that have listened to the whole show all the way to the end thank you so much see you around and meet you soon bye bye now 